We all want some level of safety and security. Firefighters, construction workers, EMT. They're all there when you need them to help manage life's chaos. In retirement, you want that same level of safety, but who is there for you to make sure your money will last? Brian isn't just there in case of emergency. He's there so you don't have an emergency with your money. A safer retirement doesn't mean a boring retirement, but a prepared one full of the things that inspire you. This is Safer Retirement Radio with Brian J. Decker. Welcome to Safer Retirement Radio with Brian J. Decker and Aaron Ray of Decker Retirement Planning. You can always find out more about Brian, Aaron, and the team at DeckerRetirementPlanning.com, DeckerRetirementPlanning.com. And every week on the show, I tell you that if you just go to that website, DeckerRetirementPlanning.com, there are a lot of things, a lot of information on there for you. There is a heading under on that website, DeckerRetirementPlanning.com, heading of Safer Retirement Education. There are books, there are useful guides, there's 12 different things you can download, including Brian's book on retirement, The Decker Approach. All of that is available to you at no cost. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. It's just stuff for you to find out more about your retirement. Uh, It's a great way to kind of get an idea about what's going to happen in retirement. Then when you get maybe Brian's book on retirement, you call the team and go, hey, I got some questions about this. I'm not sure how this pertains to me. It's 833-707-3030. There's no cost to you for this either. 833-707-3030. Now, I know you guys are going to talk today, Will's powers of attorney for the financial world, the healthcare world, uh, trust, and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess, Brian, the key is really we need to get this done by, what, 80? I don't know. If As long as you know when you're going to die, just get it done before that. And you're good. Then you're good. Okay. All right. But here's some famous people who died without a will, just even a will. So the the important documents, will, power of attorney, living will, trust, that's the kind of the basics. But here's some of the famous people who died without a will. Pablo Picasso, Jimi Hendrix, Abraham Lincoln, he didn't have time. Bob Marley, Amy Winehouse, Barry White, Howard Hughes, Prince, Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, Aretha Franklin, Steve McNair, James Brown, Florence Griffith Joyner, John Denver, Tupac Shakur, Heath Ledger, Martin Luther King Jr., Sonny Bono, Billie Holiday. I'm looking for Marilyn Monroe. She's not in here. Um, I, I think she was another one. So what does it take to be a legal will? By the way, we have to repeatedly say we are not attorneys, can't give legal advice, but we are fiduciaries. And we can and do take things seriously and owe it to our clients to communicate those observations. Anything that's just written, even back of a napkin, signed and dated, can be the expression, legal expression of your desires of how you want your estate passed. So uh, there's three parts to your estate, generally. There's the qualified assets of IRA, 401k, SEP IRA, Roth, things like that. Those are retirement accounts. That's one part of your estate. Typically, those are not put in your uh, trust and they're not governed by your will. Those have specific beneficiary designations. Then the second part is what's governed by your trust. And that's typically at least your home, your residence, any real estate. And then there's, quote, everything else. And everything else is called your residuary estate. 
Your residuary state is typically governed by the will that flows into the trust when you die if you have a pour over provision. So we're going to get into these details. But Aaron, one of the questions that comes up sometimes is, I know, brilliant idea. Why don't I just list my trust as the beneficiary of my IRA and then distribute the assets from there? Why isn't that a good idea? There are some complicated things that that can get into, and it's way more of a headache than most people realize, depending upon what assets you actually list um, in that section. So like you mentioned a second ago, Brian, you really have a division between assets that are governed by the trust that the language in there specifies how those are distributed. It may be the beneficiary, it may be the, um, the specific owner of the account, and then those that are not. And so with qualified accounts, which are your 401ks, IRAs, Ross, um, anything that has those types of tax benefits, those are accounts that you typically do not want to have the trust as the primary beneficiary on. Um, There's a number of reasons why, but um, quick example, uh, let's say you are a married couple and both of you put the trust as the primary beneficiary for your 401k account or IRA account. Um, What happens when one of you passes away, normally, had you just listed the other spouse as the primary beneficiary, those assets then get transferred to that surviving spouse. They get to continue them as their own, and they have a lot of advantages by doing that, mainly that they continue to have them within those tax-advantaged uh, accounts, not that they have to distribute them immediately or within a short time span. But if you have the trust as the primary beneficiary, it gets a little bit tricky. Now, there are some details here that uh, are governed by specific trust language and how um, the different beneficiaries in the trust, but the, the short story is that it doesn't have the same time frame in which you can withdraw the assets. It's either a five-year or a 10-year period where you have to pull the money out of those IRA accounts instead of the spouse claiming them as their own. So it gets into a little little tricky period there. It generally means more taxes for those assets. You don't get as favorable of a tax situation and you have to move it out of that tax-friendly account sooner. Also, you change the ownership of the IRA in the year that you die. And so that makes your IRA 100% taxable in the year that you die. That's never a good thing. So we never want to list the trust as a beneficiary of your IRA unless it's a special kind of trust called a conduit trust. That's not that uh, allows you to distribute the assets without uh, making it 100% taxable in that year. But uh, Aaron, let's let's talk about the different documents. Let's start with the will. So when it comes to the will. All we care about is that you've got, and by the way, it's say you had three or four kids. If you've got three or four kids and one really you don't trust them to um, do the heavy lifting uh, as far as the estate transfer, you can plug them in as on the will as an executor because you really don't do anything, especially if it's done right. You want to see the pour over provision. If you have distribution language in your will, not good. That means that your will and the assets that you're giving away are exposed to probate. 
Now, what is probate? Probate is where they go through and they total up the value of your residuary estate and they tax you in California. It's like a commission. Um, you're, there's a fee on transferring that estate. And so you can avoid probate if you put your expensive items in the trust and you have a pour over provision in your will. Um, so one of the things that you wouldn't put in your trust uh, outside of your 401ks and retirement accounts also are your cars. Um, Aaron, why don't people put cars in their trust? Uh, well, there's a couple of different reasons. I think the main one is that it's just something that's going to be, it's going to transition a lot, right? You, you may have a car for three or four years and then you go buy a new one or you add an additional one on and they continue to rotate out. And so having your cars within the trust, um, it just it becomes a little bit more difficult to keep track of, right? It's um, a similar concept to why you're you're not going to walk through your house and name every article of clothing. You're not going to name every piece of electronics, everything that you have in your house in the trust. Um, it would just be ridiculously cumbersome to do that. So that's the the point of having the pour over provision in the will is to take all of those different physical items, but not necessarily permanent items like a house or a plot of land or some of the more uh, substantial real estate assets um, and actually name them specifically in the trust. It, uh, it helps kind of provide that extra umbrella where you're going to have things you've bought, things you've sold, things you've lost, whatever, that are different from the point in time that you put that document into place versus when you pass away, maybe 20, 40, 50 years later. Mark, how much time we got? You are just shy of 10, so you got three or four. Three or four more minutes, okay. Yeah. So yeah, on the will, um, we're going to talk about all the documents here, and um, we've talked about how the will can be back of the napkin, expression of one's desires to move their assets and their estate. It can be much more detailed than that. Some attorneys pride themselves on 60, 70 plus pages of, of will documents. Just remember that when you put your will together, your kids need to interpret it. Um, they need to understand it so that they could follow those instructions. Um, as far as getting your documents together, will, power of attorney, living will, and trust. If you go to an attorney, typically what we see is around $2,500, and that's fine. You can do it that way. Or you can go online, and some of the online documents that have been recommended by our company, uh, it's about $400 to get it done through the one that you recommended. Yeah, it's yeah, called legal, LegalZoom.com. Yeah, and so some people will have the need for all four of the documents, the will, living will, power of attorney, and trust. They do offer a package. I think it's, yeah, four to 500 bucks. And then they offer those a la carte as well. Like if you already have one or two of those documents in place, you just need to complete the uh, the set of four. They do offer them individually as well. And then there's another we recommend called Willmaker. Um, it's part of NOLO. It's online documents, about $180. You get a will for each of you, power of attorney for each of you, living will for each of you, and a trust, seven documents for $180. Whatever works for you, and you should, we'll, we'll always say this, you should consult your attorney to make sure that you're, you're doing the right thing and the documents do express your wishes on how you want to transfer your estate. So final question before we get more into this in the next three segments of Safer Retirement Radio with Brian and Aaron here on this radio program. Brian, one of the interesting parts of this is 
not everybody needs a trust. What are the basic things? I mean, do we all need the will, the living will, the powers of attorney for finances and health care? What do, what do we need to have? Well, we're going to, hopefully people listen to the whole show. Um, we're going to talk about the will, power of attorney, living will, and trust, and what the differences are in each document. But I would say the basic document, this where you would start is at least the will, who gets what? Um, that would be the very basic. That would be the start. Um, but we, there's good, better, best. Good is that you have a will. You saw, you heard 15 famous people that didn't get that far. Right. Yeah. And I think Walt Disney was another one of those, amazingly enough, that didn't have it. And obviously, Michael Jackson, Prince, maybe passed away before they thought. Um, that's why it's one of those things that you pointed out, Brian, when you need this is make sure it's done before you pass. But nobody knows for sure when that's going to be which maybe catches some of these unaware. So we're talking about a super important topic and everybody's situation is unique. Some of you need a super in-depth trust. Others, the will and a power of attorney for healthcare and finance, that might be it, or just, you know, the living will. Everybody's situation is unique. And that's how Brian and Aaron and the team at Decker Retirement look at it. How can they help you create what you need for your retirement? And we're talking today about really the estate planning, the legacy part of that will, powers of attorney, trusts, and so forth. So everybody's situation is unique, and that's how the team would certainly look at it. If you need a little guidance here, it's 833-707-3030, 833-707-3030. There is no cost to you to talk with the team. They're here to help. They don't know if they can help you, though, until you reach out. 833-707-3030. More with Brian and Aaron right after this. This is Safer Retirement Radio. Have you ever done something and then thought, well, that was a giant waste of money? You might have that same thought in retirement if you don't plan for taxes. Call the team at Decker Retirement Planning to make sure you aren't giving more to Uncle Sam than you have to. 833-707-3030. That's 833-707-3030. Who likes uncertainty? Wall Street certainly doesn't. With near record inflation and partisan politics, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. What will America's future look like? What will your future look like? Will your taxes go up? Will your savings go down? For more than three decades, Brian Decker has seen uncertainty come and go. No matter what the future holds, Brian and the team at Decker Retirement can help you create a plan designed to preserve your finances in uncertain times. And it's not a matter of if those uncertain times will show up, but when. Call 833-707-3030 now to meet with Brian Decker and the Decker Retirement Team. If uncertainty is causing you to feel insecure, Brian Decker can help. Call 833-707-3030 and schedule your visit today. 833-707-3030. Investment advisory and insurance services offered through Decker Retirement Planning, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. You're listening to Safer Retirement Radio. If you like what you hear on today's show or have questions, drop by DeckerRetirementPlanning.com or call 833-707-3030 to talk to Brian. Welcome back to Safer Retirement Radio with Brian J. Decker and Aaron Ray of Decker Retirement Planning. Any questions, 833-707-3030. Maybe your question is, Man, I, I think I've got enough to retire, but I don't really know. I would like to find out. Perfect time to talk with the team. It's DeckerRetirementPlanning.com to learn more, but it's 833-707-3030. If you really want to get some answers, get some clarity into your retirement picture, 
3030. I'm Mark Kelly. Glad you're with us today. We're talking about wills, powers of attorneys, trust, all of that. And and Brian and Aaron are not attorneys, so they, they're not going to draw up your legal document. They can certainly give you some guidance here in this area. And so I know, Brian, you and Aaron are going to discuss powers of attorney, and I guess there's different ways to set those up. But basically, a power of attorney is for healthcare decisions. Do I pull the plug? Do I not? And for if you can't make decisions, but you need to pay the bills, need somebody to be able to get to your finances to do that as well. So powers of attorney, are they basically for financial and health reasons? Right. So we're going to talk about power of attorney finance on this one. And this is where you're not dead, you're incapacitated, or like Monty Python, you're not quite dead yet. This is where you need to assign someone to act as you. And so there's three parts to this, Aaron, that we really focus on. First of all, if you have kids or no kids, who are you going to assign to be a successor agent? So if you're married, that's easy. That's your spouse. If you're not married, you pick someone that you trust, ideally a family member, cousin, someone that is in your church or your neighborhood, but choose wisely because that person is going to be acting as you in um, if you are incapacitated. But Aaron, what else should someone focus on in choosing a successor? Like, let's say that someone has three kids, which which one would you want to be in there as power of attorney finance? Yeah, this gets into how well you know your kids and how well you trust your kids, right? Because uh, everybody has different experiences with that. Sometimes you could probably pick all three of your kids and they would do a phenomenal job. Sometimes you probably don't want any of your kids to touch your finances with a 10-foot pole. You want to Look for somebody else outside of that. Um, really, this is going to be somebody that is a little more uh, logically and financially sound, right? You, you probably don't want somebody that has a terrible time managing their own money to then be in charge of your financial and legal decisions at that point. So this is something where you want to just think about what the responsibilities are which are going to include financial, legal, maybe business matters if you're a business owner, um, some pretty serious decisions um, around all of those things and make sure that whoever it is that you decide to have in that role is somebody that you can trust with those things. So um, obviously it could be one of your kids. Um, it could be another trusted party, uh, another fiduciary. You could have an attorney do it. You could have um, about a trust department at a bank in charge of those things, some other role there, some uh, financial professional. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that it's somebody that has a good mind, fairly logical, hopefully, and is good with dealing with those financial matters. Now, you mentioned I agree with everything you said, except for the corporate trustee. That's a very expensive uh, situation. If you list a corporate trustee as a successor agent, to your power of attorney or a successor trustee to your trust, the fees historically have been about 1% even of your entire estate, even in years when they don't do anything because they're taking on the liability of being a trustee of your estate. Mm-hmm. So we we try to steer away from that. Ideally, Aaron, I, I think you hit all the others, family, friends, church members, neighborhood, attorney, CPA. There's a lot of different options. And if you've got two or three kids, who's the one that's left brain detail focused, um, ideally a CPA or someone with a business school degree, something like that. 
uh, your choices. And you also mentioned something very important. Instead of choosing one, you can have all three um, or two mm-hmm. um, be co-successor agents to you. So succession is the number one thing. The second is the thing that we look at is um, compensation. Now, you don't know if you're going to be incapacitated for a week or 18 months, but it says this on the compensation clause, reasonable compensation is due. Well, there's no oversight. No one's going to check on it. And we've seen children of clients strike themselves uh, checks for twenty, thirty $30,000 uh, for compensation, and it's kind of a blank check. So, and it causes problems with the kids. So when the other kids see that Johnny, uh, Johnny and Sally see that um, Mike has uh, the ability to strike himself, stroke himself a check for twenty or thirty thousand, they ask him, and he says, "No, I didn't." And then he's he's backpedaling. It just creates problems. So for family unity, if that's what your focus is for family unity, we would recommend that you keep the reimbursement clause, but strike the compensation clause. It is a privilege to help mom and dad when they're incapacitated. You don't need the compensation clause in our opinion. Now, if you don't have any children and you're asking a neighbor, a friend, um, coworker, someone in your church, community, whatever, um, then you may want to put a, a compensation in there, but mention it specifically. Don't, don't leave it wide open as, quote, reasonable compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, what else on that, Aaron? Yeah, I 100% agree. And it's something where, I mean, you know better than anybody what your uh, business matters or financial matters are going to entail. Maybe some things that happen out of the blue, but for the most part, you have a pretty good understanding about what needs to happen. And so, like you mentioned, Brian, you can put a specific number in there and say, hey, per week or per month or per w- whatever time period you want to have in there. Um, here's what uh, I want to pay out for compensation. And so it isn't just up to discretion. You have a number laid out there. Everybody knows exactly what it is. There's no disagreements or or, um, gray area on that. Uh, It just gives a lot of surety to both the person that's helping and everybody else that has a vested interest in what actually. So I think on the compensation and reimbursement clauses, that's great. Obviously, you want to make sure that if they incur expenses for helping you, that they're able to get those taken care of. Um, the, the last part of this is probably, or the, the third part of this is probably going to be the trigger clause. Um, and I, I love your, the, the example that you typically give of this, Brian. So I'll let you, let you take this one, but this is also a pretty important piece of get the power of attorney set up. Yeah. I think this is the majority of the discussion on, uh, the power of attorney. I, and I don't know if you remember, I, I don't know what story you were thinking of, but we were, I was, uh, doing retirement planning for husband and wife that were really at each other's throat. The the wife would call me in between meetings and say, I think I'm going to divorce this guy. What do you think? And um, they were just constantly arguing. Um, and when we got to their estate documents, it said that their trigger clause, that it's active on signature. And I had to, had to have the very uncomfortable conversation that, hey, you guys can legally clear each other out um, because your power of attorney to act as each other is active right now. I would recommend that you change that immediately to two doctors. So if you have 
uh, power of attorney active on signature, um, I'll use my wife, Diane, and I as an example. I could be rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs, and she can be rooting for the San Francisco 49ers. And when in overtime, the Kansas City Chiefs won, I dance on the table and uh, say, na, 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 na. Um, she could get upset, and she could call me from Cabo and say, you know, really didn't like how you acted. I decided to move all of your IRAs to me. I decided to retitle the the house to my name. And I'm down here with the pool guy. And, you know, you just shouldn't have, you shouldn't have behaved that way. And legally she could do that. So we just want to make sure that you're careful with active on signature. Yes, it's the most convenient Yes, it's wonderful, especially if you're traveling a lot. It's active. You don't have to drag someone in front of two doctors. But we recommend the two doctors if the relationship is probably not rock solid. Anything to add on on signature and also two doctors? Because I want to talk more about two doctors. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that was the example, the, the pool boy one where... Um, people just don't realize that the active on signature implies that you, I mean, as either spouse can take control of those assets. And so again, just a time for reflection, like you mentioned, Brian, if you have a great marriage, you trust each other, you don't foresee any problems happening there. It's by far the most convenient. You don't have to do any extra steps or any extra work there with the the doctors or um, the people to certify um, the, the mental capacitation. But there is that risk that uh, if something doesn't go well or if you have a disagreement or on the verge of divorce, um, it's probably not the best idea. So a couple more things on the um, trigger clause or activation clause. If if a client is diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, we don't want two doctors. That is emasculating for the spouse to be drugged in front of two doctors. And so they put on their best face. They do their best to be a normal human being. Who wouldn't? Who can blame them? If you've got a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia, you'll want to change the trigger clause from two doctors to family counsel. No one knows you better than your spouse and your kids. And they can legally tell you without dragging you in front of two doctors, they can activate the power of attorney. So as you can tell, there's a lot of unique situations that come into the wills and powers of attorney, the trust, all of those things, uh, the living will. What do you actually need? Well, Brian and and Aaron and the team at Decker Retirement can certainly help walk you through that because everybody's situation is unique and that's how they certainly look at it. If you have questions, you want to learn more, 833-707-3030. The end of the day, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's 40 years from now. We don't know. That's why this is something you don't put off. Get it taken care of. And then you can always adjust it as needed. Uh, things change in your life. I mean, that, that's what the, the deal is. These are living, breathing documents, really. They're going to adjust with you. And Brian and the team at Decker Retirement are here to help. 833-707-3030. 833-707-3030. Back with more with Brian and Aaron right here on Safer Retirement Radio. 
Do you need help ensuring any remaining assets that you've worked so hard to create are distributed to your beneficiaries in the most tax-efficient manner? If you would like to talk or meet with Brian about your legacy planning, call 833-707-3030. Again, that's 833-707-3030. Glad you're with us today for Safer Retirement Radio with Brian J. Decker and Aaron Ray of Decker Retirement Planning. Again, you can always go to the website to learn more, DeckerRetirementPlanning.com. You can go to the heading of Safer Retirement Education. You want to download Brian's book on retirement, The Decker Approach, uh, The Three Principles of Retirement Book, The Checklist Challenge, Sample Income Plan. There's 12 different things you can download, and it's really just there for your information. There's no cost to do this, uh, but it's an opportunity for you to learn about some of the areas that maybe you want to know more about when it comes to retirement. You can always call with questions, 833-707-3030. Again, there's no cost for this, 833-707-3030. I'm Mark Kelly. Glad you're with us. We're talking about wills, powers of attorney, trusts, and so forth. And I know you just talked about powers of attorney on the financial side, Brian. I think you're going to get into powers of attorney now on the healthcare side, correct? Right. Three different names for the same document, power of attorney, healthcare, healthcare directive, living will. This is the direction that you want someone to take. You're expressing your desires of what you want done when you are diagnosed with terminal illness or incapacitated and you want power of attorney health care to kick in. So Aaron, on this one, there's uh, another three different parts that we zero in on. And we always have to say we're not attorneys, can't give legal advice. We hope you contact any of this advice on today's show with your attorney, talk it through. But with this one, succession, let's start there again. Ideally, Aaron, if you've got a child with healthcare background, slam dunk to uh, have them in there. But this is also the one that they're all concerned about mom or dad. If they're incapacitated, they're unconscious. This is the last part of life. It can be cruel. You want to make sure it's as comfortable as possible. But the decision here, who can make the decision to pull the plug on mom or dad and how can that best be done? This is a very, very important choice of who you slide in there to make those decisions. Do you choose one child? Do you choose all of them together to decide together? And if they decide together and one child disagrees, then you keep mom and dad alive against their will just because that one child can't make a decision. These are very, very important choices. Succession, who do you stick in there? Aaron, what guidance and counsel would you give someone with no children, with no spouse? I mean, let's go through the different options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as far as the, when you talked about first having the kids there, like you mentioned, it's best if you have somebody that you feel like is going to be in their right mind at that point in time, because a lot of these are pretty end of life type scenarios. It's mom and dad got in a car crash, they're in a coma now, or had some major medical uh, injury or, or some kind of other accident. And they're typically not just normal uh, everyday situations, right? And so you want to have somebody in that decision-making role that is going to be able to do a good job, look at it objectively, and uh, make the decisions that they feel that you would make if you were going to make them for yourself. And that's really the the goal there is to be able to find somebody that would make those same decisions. Obviously, 
you can give some instruction beforehand. Um, with all of these documents, we find it's best to sit down and talk with the people that are going to be involved around them. But especially with the healthcare one, give them an idea about what it is you want, what you don't want, the type of approach you would like to take. You want somebody that's going to be in their right mind, emotionally stable for that point in time. And so with kids, um, that can be an individual, that can be a group of two or more, um, if you have multiple children as well. For those that don't have any children, um, there are a number of other ways that this can be done. I would say the most common is going to be the um, the doctors or any other trusted healthcare provider. Maybe you've had the same general practitioner for the last 20 or 30 years. You trust them. Um, you have a good relationship with them. They may be the resource. It may be some specific doctor at the hospital you typically go to. You can also have whoever it is. You, you can specify that it's whatever the doctors are that are currently at whatever medical institution you're at. And so it would be somebody typically in the medical profession um, in some shape or form is, is typically what I've seen for that. I think it was in Florida, husband and wife, the wife gets hurt badly in a coma. And after a year or so, the husband's like, she would not want to be kept alive like this. We need to pull the plug. Her parents said, no, that's not at all what we want to happen. And there was a long court battle because there was nothing in place. And they were, I don't know, she was in her late 20s, early 30s, I think. But then they got into a court battle, legal battle. It was a terrible situation. That was Terry Shivo. I remember that like it was yesterday. And yes, uh, she suffered. We're going to talk about how she suffered unnecessarily. So we're going to get to that, Mark. We just want to finish up on this. When it comes to choosing a successor agent, you've got to have someone who can pull the plug on mom or dad, but we're going to get to how to make that decision more fair, more uh, more kind. And that let's get to that right now. The trigger clause, there's two parts to the trigger clause to the healthcare directive or the power of attorney healthcare or the living will. The first part kicks in when you are, quote, this is the different examples from the state, when you're, quote, diagnosed with uh, terminal illness, when you're, quote, unable to recognize loved ones, things like that. Well, that kicks in the power of attorney part. But we would argue that there's a second part that should be in there just based on morality, just being kind to your kids. Who, who wants to pull the plug on mom or dad? So we would add a second part to that trigger clause that, quote, it is my wish to have my life terminated, uh, which is pull the plug, when two doctors confirm that I'm kept alive artificially. That makes it easier because invariably what's happened in the past is Johnny is approached to pull the plug by the doctor, pull the plug on mom or dad. And uh, he says, geez, I don't know. What do you think? And they decide that they're going to pull the plug. And invariably, within the next six months, Johnny, who pulled the plug on mom, sees this adult sitting up in their hospital bed after being in a coma for four months. And then he thinks for the rest of his life, I just killed my mom. She would have survived. So we want to add the second part to the trigger clause that is boilerplate that kicks in the language that when two doctors confirm that I'm kept alive artificially, it is my will that my life be ended, something like that. Now you can have the DNR in place, you can have no artificial hydration and nutrition, but this is an additional content to add that we would recommend. And again, we're not 
attorneys can't give legal advice, but we are fiduciaries and we've seen train wreck problems from people that wish they had this language in there. Aaron, anything else on that before we go to the last part, which is comfort measures? No, I think you you did a good job with the overview there. It's just really thinking about some of those things that are not so fun to think about right now and just kind of future casting what those situations are going to look like and making the best decisions, kind of putting yourself in that uh, in that situation mentally. Okay. The last part is comfort measures then. And Terry Schiavo is the poster child of of being in pain and agony unnecessarily because they didn't put comfort measures in the power of attorney. Yeah, the DNR was in place and the two doctors were there and the power of attorney kicked in when she was unconscious. But when they withheld artificial hydration and nutrition, which was in the power of attorney healthcare, healthcare directive, living will, whatever you want to call it, half of these documents don't have comfort measures and they should be in your documents. Make a note to check. That is, quote, that you want pain medication, even if it prolongs my life or even if it hastens my death. I've seen both. This is where you want drugs, you want morphine, call it whatever you want. Pain meds is what we usually see in there. But comfort measures should be in a very, very important part of your healthcare directive. Anything else on any part of the healthcare directive before we jump over to the trust, Aaron? We've talked a lot about different parts here, but most of the time when I have seen these documents, they're laid out pretty simply. There, There's obviously uh, language that you can add to there if you would like to, but a lot of the ones I've seen give you like three or four different options and you just initial by the ones that you want to have there. And those will be what you talked about, the specific person for the job, whether you want artificial life support or not, the comfort measures or not, just some of those yes or no type questions. And then you can specify any details or, or fine print of that you want in addition to that. And so again, I would just recommend people take a few minutes and think about this. It's um, one of those things, it's a really, really important document, but you don't need it until you actually need it, right? Some people don't think they're ever going to be in a situation like this, and you may not, but you also may. And you want to make sure to take care of those loved ones or, ever, or anybody else that is going to have a part in this to make sure that you're not putting undue stress on them or having them make the wrong decisions relative to what you would have actually wanted. So again, just take a look at that. We've laid out some good things here food for thought, and then uh, obviously contact your, your attorney with any additional questions. And Brian, that Terry Schiavo case is crazy. It was the 1990s. She's 26 years of age. She goes into cardiac arrest at her home. Husband calls 911. They revive her, but they figured out that she'd gone too long without oxygen for her brain. And after two and a half months, they say she's in a persistent vegetative state. He tries everything he can for the next eight years to see if something will get her out of this and to return her back as normal as possible. And 1998 is when he said, pull the plug. And then the parents disagreed with that, which is hard to believe after eight years. She was kept in that state until 2005. And you can feel for the husband. He's paying the hospital bills, not the parents. And he knows that if she is kept alive artificially, that Terry would never want that. So that was a heart tugger for the whole nation to watch. Yeah, I don't think anybody would want to be in that position. All right, I know you've got trust left to get to, and it's going to take you a little bit more time. So we'll come back. We'll get into the trust situation with Brian and Aaron. 833-707-3030. You have questions about wills, powers of attorney, living wills, all those kind of things. We're going into the trust world next. Again, it's 833 707 
3030. Brian and Aaron back with more Safer Retirement Radio right after this. Do you need help ensuring any remaining assets that you've worked so hard to create are distributed to your beneficiaries in the most tax-efficient manner? If you would like to talk or meet with Brian about your legacy planning, call 833-707-3030. Again, that's 833-707-3030. Have you noticed the market's roller coaster ride lately? Even a single day's dip can significantly impact your retirement. If the idea of shielding your nest egg from market volatility resonates with you, it's time to talk to the experts at Decker Retirement Planning. Call us now at 833-707-3030. Our unique approach aims to dial down the risk, keeping about 25 to 30% of your assets at risk instead of the conventional 60-40 pie chart. At Decker Retirement Planning, we don't use a pie chart. We strive to offer you a detailed retirement income plan It's about seeing the bigger picture, aligning your investments to your long-term goals, and making informed decisions. Whether you're new to retirement planning or already have a plan, we can help. Call Decker Retirement today to learn about the six things we do well for our clients that all financial advisors should be doing. Call 833-707-3030 today. That's 833-707-3030. Investment advisory and insurance services offered through Decker Retirement Planning, Inc., a registered investment advisor. You're listening to Safer Retirement Radio. If you like what you hear on today's show or have questions, drop by DeckerRetirementPlanning.com or call 833-707-3030 to talk to Brian. Welcome back to Safer Retirement Radio with Brian J. Decker and Aaron Ray of Decker Retirement. You can certainly find out more at DeckerRetirementPlanning.com. Questions, 833-707-3030. No cost to chat with the team, whether your question's about, boy, where's my income going to come from in retirement? Boy, am I taking too much risk in my portfolio? I don't really know. Uh, what about taxes? Taxes are a huge issue for today's retirees. Healthcare, long-term care, legacy planning, Social Security, Medicare, all those decisions you have to make, 833-707-3030. Today, Brian and Aaron have been talking about wills, powers of attorney, living wills, all those kind of things that we need, and you're going to spend a lot of time breaking down trust. Not everybody needs a trust, and then some need more legal work than others, I suppose, right? That's right. So the trust is going to be alive as we pass. If you don't have a trust, you have nine months to pay any probate, any transfer fees, taxes, things like that. You don't have that time limit with a trust. You die, trust didn't die, you're able to take your time, transfer the estate, retitle things and the clock is not ticking like it is if you don't have a trust. Ideally, you want to put things in the trust that have value, but not cars. We talked about that, where if you put cars in your trust to sell them, you have to take them out of the trust in order to sell them. It's a pain. People don't do it unless they are collectors and they're not going to sell them. Then they'll Uh, put their car collection one at a time in the trust. But anything over, and I just pulled a value out, $30,000 outside of cars you want to have in your trust. So that would be titling your residence, any uh, rental real estate, any LLCs, C-Corp, S-Corp. You want to mention those things in your trust as part of an estate that you're transferring. Ideally, there's four parts to the trust that we want to take a look at. The first part, Aaron, is probably the most important, who you choose as successor trustee. Now, if you're married, so my wife, Diane, and I, we are co-trustees, co-grantors of the trust. 
the will we have pouring into the trust. So the residuary estate pours into the trust when I die, when she dies. So now the estate, except for the retirement accounts, which have specific beneficiary designations, and those are assigned based on presentation at Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard, a death certificate and a copy of um, driver's license to identify yourself. They, they transfer the estate. Sometimes in the more difficult situations, you've got to get letters of testamentary, affidavit of domicile, rules for the court to transfer an estate. But in a trust, the first thing let's talk about is this person, your successor trustee, is going to do the heavy lifting. It is a lot of pieces that have to be done. Paying of taxes, closing of accounts, retitling of assets, distributing the estate based upon the instructions, the will. And so that's going to be very important. Whoever you choose for this, if you've got children, choose a left brain sequential thinker that can get this done. And if you choose a co-trustee, make sure that those children can work with each other, that they won't frustrate each other. We want to make sure that in the transfer of the estate, that the children still love each other after it's all said and done. So that's the focus. Aaron, as far as if you don't have children or you're not married, again, we've mentioned this with the other documents, succession, you can choose neighbors, trusted neighbors, ideally families, nieces, nephews. You can choose uh, fellow church members, people that you know from work, very good close friends that you trust to be your uh, successor trustee. That's going to be a lot of work. But anything else Aaron, on the topic of succession, who that person should be that you choose as successor trustee? Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add is just an emphasis point on the workload. You mentioned it a couple of times, but those other documents, the will, power of attorney, healthcare directive, they're all going to have people that have roles that require some level of responsibility. But I would say the trust and the successor trustees are going to be at the upper threshold or upper level of how much work or how much effort is required from them to make all of that stuff work. Now, obviously, that partially depends on the size of the estate and the number of beneficiaries and how everything's set up within the trust. But at the end of the day, this is not the sit back and do nothing, just a uh, honorable title. This is something where you're actually going to have to put in some effort. And so you want to make sure that there's somebody responsible there that has a decent understanding of what's going on and what needs to happen and that they're capable of actually implementing those changes for you. Yeah, well said. Okay, the next part is who determines competence? Now, a lot of the trust that we look at, you don't want your friends or your children determining your competence to determine whether you're incompetent or competent, it should be two doctors. That should be a slam dunk. It should be two doctors that determine whether you're competent as trustees and grantors of your trust. That's a slam dunk. Anything else on that topic, Aaron, before we move on? No, I think you hit it pretty well. Okay. Next thing is compensation. If you've got children, well, guess who the beneficiaries of the trust are? It's them. Why would you compensate them for divvying up the assets? 
it just creates problems again when you have compensation clause that benefits one child and not the other, unless you all, it just doesn't make sense and it's caused problems. So we just want to point that out. Now, if you have a successor trustee that is not family, definitely put a dollar number in there. But if that person is not a beneficiary and they're not family members, that's the combo that we see where they stroke themselves big checks because reasonable compensation, quote unquote, is a blank check. So under compensation, if it's family and their successor trustees and they're just divvying up the estate for themselves, we would advise you not to have the compensation clause in there. The reimbursement clause is fine, but strike the compensation clause. Aaron, anything else on the compensation clause before we get to the nuclear part of the trust, which causes many families to never speak to each other again? Yeah. The the only thing that I would add there is, again, think about the level of work required for your specific trust. And everybody's going to have, I mean, if you have a, a heavy tens of millions of dollars in your, your assets, that's going to be way more work than say, I don't know, $500,000 million, and then obviously the specific assets as well. And so I would just try to plan the compensation for that person accordingly um, so that they feel like it's enough that they're not, I don't know, bitter or grumbling about it because you want them obviously to do as good a job as possible. And so try to compensate them fairly if they are not one of the beneficiaries of the trust there to make sure that they're okay doing it, they care enough about it, that they're going to focus on it and do it properly for you. Again, just make sure that it's a fair, quote unquote, job for them um, for the compensation that you're providing there. Okay, good. Now we've saved the biggest for last. What we're going to talk about now, the tangible asset distribution section of the trust. These are instructions on how to divide up tangible assets. Tangible assets are not your bank accounts, which are easily divided. This is your Steinway, your house, your cars, all your stuff. So guess what? The oldest gets to choose first. You've got three kids. Hmm, I'll take the house. Next. It's very, very unfair. And when we talk to our clients about the distribution of their estate, they are happy until we get to that, and then their countenance turns very dark, and they say, yeah, I remember it was not fair. The oldest got to choose first, chose the house, and you just can't make that more unfair than that. So what we recommend, and again, we're not attorneys, can't give legal advice, but we are fiduciaries, and we do see train wrecks all the time, especially here. We recommend you add liquidation clauses, the following Four sentences are key. House and cars are to be sold with proceeds equally divided, number one. Number two, refer to Appendix A for specific asset transfer instructions. This is where Sally wants mom's wedding dress, Julie wants mom's wedding ring, Johnny wants dad's fishing gear and his Corvette. That's where you write in specific asset transfer instructions. That's sentence number two. Sentence number three says, Anything not on Appendix A is to be sold slash donated with proceeds equally divided. Sentence four, rights of first refusal apply. That means that if Johnny wants to keep the house, Johnny has to buy out his siblings. Now it's fair. We have seen situations where the kids bring their own separate attorney to these meetings 
because they know that tangible assets cannot be divided equally. And to have the oldest pick first, that it's going to be a horrible situation. So this is where we want to make sure that you've got liquidation instructions to where you can have a very fair settlement. And if Jody wants to keep part of the estate, like the Steinway or whatever, he has to buy out the other siblings. Now it's fair. Aaron, this is a biggie. Anything you'd add on to that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to bring up here. Um, just an example, like you talked about for somebody that wanted to keep the piano or the house or they mom and dad have lived in the same house the last 70 years. Kids grew up there. It's very sentimental to them. But you have one of the kids that's a doctor and the other two are teachers. Um, obviously, the one that is the doctor is not going to be as worried about getting the money out of it. The other two that are teachers, probably more so. And so, like you said, Brian, there's a lot of different cases where circumstances are going to vary and you want to make sure that it's fair and equal because I'm sure everybody listening has heard a story or been personally involved in one where the estate distribution just didn't go very well. Things either weren't spelled out well, they didn't have the estate docs or the language wasn't written properly, or it was. And the kids are are fighting over those things and you don't talk to your siblings anymore. Don't talk to some of your other families anymore. I've heard that numerous times from different clients where it was just a terrible experience with the asset distribution, whether it was their spouse's parents or their own parents. And we don't want that to be the case for you, your family, your your beneficiaries there. And so it's so important to be able to get this stuff ironed out, to talk about it now before you've passed away. So everybody has a chance to speak up. Everybody has a chance to be able to be heard. They feel that it's fair and you can resolve all those issues before you and your spouse have passed away. And there is no way to be able to resolve those. So again, just one of those things that you may not think about on a day-to-day basis, but it's very important to make sure that you get this stuff in order. Everybody's on the same page. And you have a chance to be able to resolve any of those issues before you actually pass away. Ryan, anything you want to say to wrap it all up today? Yes. As soon as you finish your will, power of attorney, living will, and and trust documents, make sure to keep them in a place that your successor agents, trustees can find them. Don't hide them. And also scan a copy back to yourself after they're signed, witness, dated, and notarized so that you have a soft copy that you have access to on your phone. So there you go. We talked wills, powers of attorney, financial, healthcare-wise, the trust, living wills, all of that. If you have any questions about that, of course, Brian and Aaron are not attorneys. They can certainly help guide you. 833-707-3030 is the number. Again, no cost, no obligation, no pressure to chat with the team at Decker Retirement Planning. 833-707-3030. 3030. Thanks for being with us, Brian and Aaron. Appreciate the time. Have a great uh, rest of your weekend. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. 
Security and insurance services offered by Decker Retirement Planning, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the issuing carrier. This radio show is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual's situation. Decker Retirement Planning is not permitted to offer and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Decker Retirement Planning. This radio show is a paid placement.